Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. G, 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 take me away. G, 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 take me today. Welcome to another episode of the Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This episode is pretty intense. We're going to hear a story from uh, New York comedian and writer Tiana Miller. From homeless to hopeful. That's what we're going to call this. From dealing with MS and a stroke and addiction, this is a lot for anyone to deal with. And I wish you could all see how she was glowing when she was telling me her story. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you get something inspiring out of it. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. Are you a filmmaker, podcaster, musician? Check out Future Moments on the App Store. They've got a few apps that make your life easier. All right. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for links to Tiana. And enjoy my guest, Tiana Miller. Tiana Miller. Hello. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. That's me setting the tone of the interview. (laughs) So you're a comedian, comedy writer, and musician. Yep. And... I made a, paste, a post on Facebook asking people for near-death experiences, and your response on my Facebook post prompted <laughs> immediate curiosity. Yeah. You have quite a life. Yeah, I do. Uh, can you start us at the beginning? Like, where did you grow up, and how uh, did you end up 
homeless and all this? I grew up on Long Island um, in Rocky Point. It was like the heart of the opioid epidemic. Uh, I was using, but I also, my mom left when I was like 10 and my father remarried when I was 15 and my stepmom just didn't really, she made it really clear she didn't want me in the house anymore. So I ran away and I lived in my car and stayed on and off with my boyfriend. Um, just kind of squatting around the suburbs and the city and working like two jobs while I finished high school. But then when I was around 19, I got arrested with a bag of heroin. And I think the stress from all that or whatever it was, I ended up coming down. I have uh, multiple sclerosis and I had a stroke, but I was on the street. So I was like living in my car and my best friend uh, from grade school actually came and she knew I was really hungry because I, was, I wasn't able to feed myself. I couldn't feel the entire right side of my body. It was completely numb. From the stroke? Yeah. Uh-huh. So she came and she was like, hey, Tiana, I'm going to take you to Taco Bell. I know you haven't eaten in a while. And I was like, oh, thank God. She got me in her car and she ended up taking me to the hospital after Taco Bell. She was nice enough to get me Taco Bell first. Good. And she was like, you have to go, buddy. I know you don't have insurance and you're afraid of the bill, but I think you're going to die. Yeah. And so I went in and they told me they thought it was a vitamin B deficiency because I was homeless. And I was like, I really don't think this is a lack of bananas. Like I can't, I couldn't even like hold my eye and my mouth up. How long had you been living like that with half the side of your face? At that point it had been two weeks, which is absolutely insane. Like I urge anyone the minute they start having any stroke symptoms whatsoever, because it started off with me feeling like I was drunk and I was 100% clean. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't figure out why I felt like I was drunk. You weren't using at the time? No, I wasn't using anything, Uh like not even weed. Wow. So I was like, why do I feel like I'm drunk? And every morning before I went to my first job at the post office, I would go get a coffee at a 7-Eleven. And it started, I ordered the 7-Eleven and I would just drop it like while I was holding it. And I was like, why isn't my hand grabbing things anymore? Was it just one hand? Was one hand able to grab and the other wasn't? Yeah, the right hand. It would, uh, When I first was diagnosed, for whatever reason, my MS heavily attacked the left cortex of my brain. Uh So that's why I completely lost feeling out of the, of the right side. My right side just went dead. It just like died. Okay. Let, there's a lot here. I know. Okay. Let's, (laughs) let's slow it down and go back. Um, so you're 15 and your mom or you're 10 and your mom leaves. Yeah. My mom left the house when I was 10. She stayed in the city, uh, working in the city, but then while you're on Long Island. Yeah. But she was like, uh, part of nine eleven and saw it happen and she just couldn't go back to the city she got so traumatized from it why did she she left you with your dad yeah uh uh-huh. what any reason why um she's not 100 percent mentally stable and also just money okay and i think it was uh i remember they asked us to like choose and i just went with wherever my brother went right my well, brother stuck with my dad so yeah she had too much money, so she wants to go to New York City? No, she had no money. She was really, you <laughs> so know. So she decided to go to New York City. <laughs> no, no, no. She's from New York. Oh, okay. My whole family is from New York. Yeah. She, uh, she's a woman with no college degree. You know, it's hard to make ends meet in yep. New York. So she went down to Florida where I have family. Mm-hmm. And then she met a guy and moved in with her in Georgia, which is how I ended up in Georgia. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah, it's okay, a big so story. Your, so your mom leaves. Did she talk to you and tell you, hey, I'm leaving. It's not working out with your dad. Oh, yeah. Well, they like I, she had been out of the house like four years before she actually left the state. 
And then when she left the state, that's when we kind of, I lost touch for a while. Mm -hmm. So she left you with your dad and then your dad ended up remarrying. Yeah. Okay. And my dad also like, he drinks a lot and he, so it just wasn't a good situation. So you left at 15. Yeah. I think, I think I was actually 16, Mm -hmm. maybe like more approaching 17, but yeah, I took off. What, what did he do in response to that? He didn't do anything. Um, I remember reaching out to him and he didn't respond. He put my car insurance bill on my car at work and that was it. Like he like put it on the windshield wiper. Yeah. He was like, that was it. Uh huh. He didn't really, it was. I wish he had reached out a little more. I think that that caused a lot of depression, obviously. That, you know, like, oh. Yeah, because you don't have the support of your parents. Yeah, but it was like um, an ultimative thing. Like, they wanted me. I wasn't sure what he wanted from me, but it was like, things are going to change or you get out. And I already hated the things, the way things were. Like, it, the best way I can explain the situation at home was like, my high school had already called social services because there were like intense signs of neglect throughout my whole life. And on top of that, like Christmas morning, I would come down and they would all be opening presents and I would just like walk by. No one would even say anything to me. Uh-huh. I would just like walk by and go to my job or my boyfriends. How is your brother in the midst of all this? Oh, my brother's much older than me. Okay. So he kind of like... How much older? He's four years older. Okay. So he kind of like moved on. Right. I think he was already living with his girlfriend. Okay. So it's just you two. Yep. So who are they opening presents? Just for each other? Oh, no. It's... I'm talking about my stepmom's family. Oh, okay. Because she moved in with her two daughters. Oh, so all of a sudden you're 15 or 16 and there's this whole new family kind of moved in. Right. And she made it very clear like... She wanted my dad's money to go to her kids, you know, Mm. like she was one of those people. They're actually divorced now. You felt like she moved in and kind of took over the space. Oh, she definitely did. I mean, she like took down all the family pictures and put up hers. And uh, then she wanted me to move out of my room so her daughter could have it. They gave one of their daughters my car like it was a huge. Why do you think your dad let this happen? He was lonely. Yeah. You know, is he the type of guy that just lets himself be overpowered like that i don't know i think he is attracted to dominant women but uh yeah was is your mom a domineering woman yeah definitely Mm -hmm. yeah i know people like that yeah she's very domineering (laughs) Uh uh-huh so that sounds rough so she just took she actually physically took family pictures of yours down yeah and like put up all her family pictures i mean it was retrospect looking at it retrospect Respectively, I was pretty much a brat. Like, I was a street punk. I was in a bunch of punk bands. And it was kind of just like, you know, like, I was like, fuck it. I can do it on my own. I've done, because I've been working full time since I was like 12. My dad never really paid for anything. I paid for everything myself. So I was like, I don't need. Yeah, but you're a teenager. Yeah, I know. But I don't know. I didn't really have, like, I didn't have anyone, like, making me go to school or making me be live a normal life or like buying me school clothes or anything it was just like i went to school because i wanted to be a writer Uh uh-huh like that was 100 percent it yeah and i finished school because i wanted to be a writer that's yeah and so when you moved out of the house you had a car Mm -hmm. and you just moved in to the car yep i packed a giant suitcase and i took like two guitars 
and like some clothes and i just like lived in my car what kind of car it was a mitsubishi galant nice yeah and you just parked near the high school near the school near the school uh the post office i was working at the overnight diner uh, i was working at my high school boyfriend's family kind of like took me in a lot like his mom i was still in touch with her she's like kind of my mom too like they completely adopted me i started doing like dinners there like family holidays there Mm -hmm. so i would crawl in through his window every night and share the twin mattress with him and then crawl out and go work at the post office and then my diner job. And you just kept all your stuff in the car? Yeah. In the Mitsubishi? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> How often would you, were you worried? Were you scared to sleep in the car overnight? Uh, no. I mean, like I said, I, I like chilled with these like crazy punk kids and we were all like, we were all nut jobs, you know? We were doing lots of drugs and fucking going to shows and staying out all night mm-hmm. you know at, at around 15 16 yeah yeah we were crazy <laughs> were you using uh okay. yeah uh i only used for about i think two or three years and i think it was like 17 to 19 heroin yeah uh-huh. and then uh when i had the stroke from the ms you kind of just your body goes into survival mode and i was just like it's no longer about getting high it's about like me feeling my body or living another day yeah so i completely cleaned up and i had to leave my boyfriends because he wasn't cleaning up so i i had to leave and i went to georgia i cleaned up and i was just so sick i was bedridden for like five to seven years until they figured out how to get me stabilized from the ms yeah were you when you were using heroin? Were you shooting it? Yeah. Well, we started snorting it, but then we moved to shooting it because yeah. you do. I mean, you think you have control over it. You're like, oh, whatever. I'm only using it every once in a while at a party. I mean, where, where I grew up, heroin was like passed around during parties, like like coke or pot was. Wow, in Long Island. Yeah, like my crew of friends. That's like. Uh huh. It was the, there was actually like a squat house where we all used to crash and party all the time. And like every room had a different drug dealer in it. So there was like the crack room, the heroin room, the acid room. It's like a food court at a mall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except it's like a dilapidated house on 25A. <laughs> like, I mean, Long Island is known for its malls, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, that was funny too. When I got caught, um, uh, my dad finally figured out I was doing heroin. He was like, where are you getting it? And I was like, oh, I get it from a guy at the mall. And he was like, there's no heroin store. I was like, no, he meets me in the parking lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, it, and it just naturally, it started at snorting it, and then it just naturally gravitated yeah. upwards. No, I always said I would never, ever use needles, and I actually have such a bad tremor from the MS. I didn't know that's what it was from, but I had symptoms of MS growing up. I probably had it as a child, too. Right, and MS, I am not. I don't know that much about it, but it's not something that you get, no, like, like an genetic. infection or anything. It's totally genetic. Yeah, my older cousin has it, too, mm-hmm. but much more tame case than I do. And what? Did you know you were susceptible to it growing up? Um, I made a joke when I started feeling drunk and stuff to my friend. I was like, I think I have MS. And we were like giggling about it. But I guess it was somewhere in the back of my head because my cousin, my older cousin had it. And uh, it was just instinctual. Like when you stop feeling parts of your body, you know something 
it's majorly wrong. Right. And I was completely in denial about it. I was still going to parties, like half numb. Like they would lay out a blanket for me and I would just lay there because I didn't want to be alone. I didn't know what was happening to me. Well, also when you're using probably any kind of drug, you're kind of cutting your brain off anyway, where you're not fully conscious of your body and things. So maybe you thought, oh, this is just me being... Um, I have to be clear. When I came down with the MS, I was clean for like two months. Okay. Oh, you were totally sober. Yeah, I had to because I had the arrest charges and I had to prove that I wasn't an addict to the court. Okay. We so did I not was, talk about these arrests. <laughs> I was actually... I dropped it in there. It was in the big mess of <laughs> when I first got here and just spewed it all out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah... Uh, no, I was completely clean. That's why I was so... I was working my job. I was a postal clerk and an overnight diner waitress, and I was working my job. I was... And going I, to school. Yeah, I thought I... I thought... I think by that time I had dropped out of school, but um, I completed high school, and then I actually got a scholarship to Suffolk Community. Uh-huh. And instead of going for writing, I went for business because I only had two years. Mm-hmm. Horrible idea. The scholarship was only for two years? Yeah, but I'm not a business-minded person at all, so I ended up just, like, failing that miserable. And then, plus, I'm working two jobs and living out of a car, so it wasn't, like... Sounds hard to juggle. Yeah, I mean, every time I had a paper, I had to go to the library and sit there all day. It was pain in the ass. So let's let's go back for a sec. So you're 15, 16, you're living in the Mitsubishi, sleeping at your boyfriend's house sometimes, (laughs) trying to finish high school. Yeah. And you're using at this point? Yeah, at that point I'm using. Mm-hmm. Um, not at first, no. Uh, I was like dabbling when I left. I was not 100% addicted to the drug yet. And then I just became full-blown after I left. But It I, went from just like partying with it to every day? Yeah, but also you're in denial for so long with heroin. Like I'm pretty sure the first time you do it, you're addicted. Uh-huh. But you're just playing in your mind like i can handle this like whatever i'm a rock star kirk cobain man (laughs) i'm the exception yeah i'm the exception i'm gonna i'm gonna beat this and it's it's not realistic yeah a lot of people think they're the exception to the rule yeah and i gotta like heroin on long island is bad it is everywhere like i've even heard people coming going from the city to go pick it out out there now which is crazy to me because we used to come to the city yeah it's yeah and at this point, it's like, liter- uh, most of my friends haven't made it. Most of them have passed away. Uh, every time I go on Facebook, somebody else is dead out there from it. It's just awful. From ODing. Yeah, from ODing. These are your high school friends? Yeah, all my high school friends. Most of them didn't really make it out, uh, either OD or suicide. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's... What's the name of this town? Uh, Rocky Point. Rocky Point. It's also a very nice town. It's right by the beach and everything. Like yeah. you wouldn't expect. Yeah, you just never know, and but, especially if it becomes part of the cultural norm, right? Of the high school, right? Well, I know that there's a lot more concentrated efforts to kind of address opioid use. Yeah, because I know when I was going to school, like Dare didn't even really think heroin. They had to worry about heroin. They were more like, "Don't smoke pot, right? And don't drink, right?" And then like. 14 i'm at a party and someone's like you want a percocet i'm like okay mm-hmm. so yeah. it started with the legal the oh yeah i feel like everybody course. starts like i'm sorry i just assume that's a very natural uh progression because kids think oh it's in a medicine cabinet whatever i can take this my parents take it or whatever yeah and then then you can't 
your OxyConnect or your Percocet Connect isn't picking up or you can't afford Percocets and Oxys. So they go, oh, we have something cheaper that does even more. Yeah. So you snort that and you're like, holy shit, this is that times 20. Right. And then snorting it stops working. So you shoot. Yeah. And then before you know it, you know, you have an abscess and a criminal record. It's like. It's really the fault of tolerance. Yeah. I, I guess you could say <laughs> I mean, if we didn't grow a tolerance to things, you know, you can kind of keep at the same level. Yeah, it's 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 very true. It's, I mean, I blame tolerance. I blame to- or lack of tolerance. I don't know. Yeah. I know the first time you use heroin, a lot of times you're really it makes you really really sick. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I did it, I got really sick, and my friend, who was already like a full blown chunky, was like. It's going to feel so amazing, though. Just tough it out and do it again. And sure enough, the second time I was like, okay, now I'm fucked. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you wanted to finish high school to be a, a writer. Yeah, I had these plans. I really wanted to go to Bennington University mm-hmm. because uh, my favorite writer, George Saunders, taught there. Vermont? Yeah. Yep. He's a satirist, and I really, really wanted to go study under him. But my teacher's... Uh, my teachers were really on my ass after my mom left because they could s- physically see that you could. It was visible how neglected I was, so they were like really up my butt about it. And my one teacher would be like, "You know, you, your parents are never going to pay for this." For you the know, college. yeah, like. But weren't they concerned about you being cared for in high school? Yeah, that's I'm talking about my teachers in high school. Yeah, why aren't they like, "Hey, what's going on? Are you is everything okay at home?" They did. Uh, they took a. My t- the art teachers all took the last period of school off, uh-huh. and they called me into a room, and they lectured me, and I remember just like bawling, crying because I felt very cornered. And my best friend growing up like never really went to high school, never really came into school. Mickey, and they were warning me about him too, and I just blew it off as like these narcs. Why they got to be up my ass? But, like, lo and behold, two years later, Mickey died of OD, Mm. and I was on the street stroking out. So, like, maybe the teachers were a little bit right. Right. Well, hindsight, you know. (laughs) Yeah, hindsight's 20-20. Yeah. But at the time, I was just like, whatever, I'm like the next Patty Smith, man. Yeah, but you're you're a teenager. Yeah. That's what teenagers is, raging hormones and all kinds of stuff going on. And I was, like, totally in it with my boyfriend, too. Mm -hmm. Like, we were so fucking in love. You were in love. It was your first love. Yeah. You coupled that with, like, feeling like a rebel on the outside and heroin. It's a... And then, like, his father gave him up, and it felt like my mom gave me up, so we were both like, we're the unlovables, we're out here, whatever, it doesn't matter, we're punk, Yeah, you know? And he's passed away now, too, so it's just... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not a sustainable lifestyle at all. Right, but there's a lot of strength that's derived from that feeling of, like, all right, I'm on the outside, you're going to push me away? Like, that's the way we get strength, too. Yeah, I mean, now I'm at the point in my life where I never really like feel judged or like i always feel judged so i never really feel judged you know like yeah if, if i feel left out i feel comfortable mm-hmm. so it's like <laughs> you're used to it yeah it's yeah. like yeah so you 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 did you finish high school you yeah all- i did i finished high school which was very hard because i was like i said i was living in a car and working two jobs yeah how do you have time to go to school during the day and then go to jobs after school i barely slept I like barely ate. I was just, uh, I was running on narcotics mm-hmm. just all the time, 
just I had to work. I had to keep my car. Yeah. I had to pay car insurance. And the idea was like hopefully moving out with my boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. But And the overnight at the diner was while you were in high school? Yep. Which is smart because then you get to eat. Yeah. And diners have such a big menu. So that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I actually, that was like my favorite job probably. And plus I got to meet a lot of crazy people. And I actually made really good money there. Mm-hmm. Like, I was able to start a savings, thank God. But, yeah. While using living in your car. Yeah, and I was also a postal clerk. I worked for the U.S. Postal Service. Wow, at such a young age. Yeah, so I would have to go in at, like, 3 a.m. Yeah. I would get off around 11 or 12 p.m. I would go home, I would nap, try to find heroin. Uh And then I would go from 5 to 3 a.m., work my overnight diner job. Where does high school fit in? How do you get to class? Well, high school was before the... Let me figure this out, timeline-wise. During high school, I only worked as an overnight diner waitress. I don't think the post office job came till I graduated. Because that doesn't make sense. It's amazing you graduated. Unless it was like the summer. Well, I was always really, really good in school and really attentive. Like, I'm the type... When I was 13, I took the TV out of my room so that I would read more. Wow. Because I wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was like really... Were you writing at the time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have notebooks, like page covered. Journals? Yeah. Kinda? It's hard. I always want to make them into a book, but it's hard for me to go through it at this point because I actually just started PTSD therapy for like that whole time in my life. Right. So like I'm just facing it now. Oh, it's so hard. Even even reading a journal from a good part in your life yeah. is hard. <laughs> Oh, let alone when you're, like, on heroin. I just want to, like, reach it, my hand in there and, like, yell at 17-year-old me, like, what the fuck are you doing? I know. It takes so much compa- self-compassion <laughs> to read that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's painful. It's too painful. I can't do it anymore. I know. It's so hard to go back to old journals. <laughs> I, uh, I cringe thinking about I it. I know. Yeah, when we were moving... Um... Oh, that's a whole nother fucking crazy Ooh. story <laughs> <laughs> so you finished high school yeah i finished high school you somehow got a scholarship to suffolk county community college yeah i think that this part of my life i think is when i started really uh getting brain damage and that's why those last years after i graduated high school they kind of all like mix into each other uh-huh. like i kind of get them a little bit confused yeah well so did you were you using until the end of high school Yes, I was using after the end of high school, too. I was using till like, 19. Okay. And then, of course, when I got MS, they put me on all these uh, pain meds. Which are opiates also? Yeah, which were opiates. Were you clean at the time that they put you on the pain meds? Yeah, I did. After I had the stroke, I didn't want to use anymore. It was right. really bizarre. It was just, like, such a shock to my body that, oh, my God, this is really painful. So <laughs> you were using, and you had the stroke, and then you got clean? yeah. Well, I got clean before I had the stroke. I actually had the stroke when I got clean. It might have even been the shock of getting clean. Who knows? Did you quit cold turkey? Yes. You did? Yes. After shooting? Yes. Wow. That was very painful, but you learn, when you're a junkie, you learn to do that when you can't find. Right. So it's just like pushing yourself not to answer the call from the dealer and stuff like that. But how do you deal with the physical withdrawals? Um... I was so sick with the MS at that point. I was just like dead in mm-hmm. anyway, you know, like. Where were you staying at the time? I was in a car and my uh, boyfriend's house. Uh-huh. 
did the MS kind of hit you suddenly or was it a gradual creep? No, like I said, at first I, it just felt like I was drunk or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the entire right side of my body went numb to the point where like I couldn't move my mouth or my eye. Mm-hmm. And I stayed like that for two weeks and I was just so afraid to go to the hospital. I was like, I don't have insurance. How would I ever pay for that? And um, did, like, did it look like, like if you looked in the mirror, did it look like half your face was sagging? Yeah, like all the muscle loss. It just me- like it was like just, it was melted. Yeah, half of it. It was very obvious. Could, it was very obvious. Yeah. yeah, like it was absurd that I wasn't. In- so anyway, when I did go to the hospital, uh, like a week later. So at this point, it'd been like three weeks. I'd been in this state. I got a call from the hospital, um, and at this point, I was staying in my boyfriend's bed because like I couldn't even sustain the car anymore. It just I was like not doing well at all. And uh, he calls and he just goes, you have uh, 10 open lesions on your brain. Uh, The largest one's two centimeters deep. You've left it so long. You're at risk of your brain swelling. You need to get to the ER right away. I don't care what you have to do, if you have to call an ambulance, whatever. So, like, I'm very calm, and I, I like, go up to the stairs, and I'm like, uh, and, which is, like, my boyfriend's mom, like, can you drive me to the hospital? I think I'm, uh, in a lot of, and she's like, oh, no, I have to take Lauren, which was his little sister, to soccer practice. Uh And I was like, fuck, I really gotta get to the hospital. So, I don't, I think I, I think I called my aunt, and my aunt ended up coming and taking me, and they gave me a spinal tap right there. And like that's when it gets really foggy because I was just in the hospital for like three weeks, barely conscious. Uh-huh. Like while they were trying to get the swelling down with steroids. Yeah, how come? I mean, I've seen someone after a stroke, and it's very obvious something's wrong. I mean, people must have been talking to you saying, "Hey, what's going on? There's something going on with your." Oh face. no, they definitely were. Um, the consensus was like sh- amongst. Uh, you have to remember, though, at this time, I didn't, really didn't have parents, so I was just hanging out with, like, 17-year-olds that listened to Leftover Crack and, like, uh-huh. you know, 17-year-old punk kids. Yeah. But even they were worried. Like, even at that point, they were like, you guys really need to, like, confront this. But I should mention, it's not a straight-out stroke. It's actually called, I think it's called a TSA. And what it is is when, if you have an... Because MS comes and goes, it's relapse remit. So if you have a really intense episode and you don't treat it, it becomes stroke-like symptoms. Okay. But you still have to deal with the residual. Like I was in a wheelchair. I was using a walker to get along for a long time afterwards. Which is happens with people with MS. Yeah. Right? Um, can you, for people that, I know someone else with MS, for people that don't know about it, can you just tell a little bit about what MS is? Uh, MS is an autoimmune disease that makes your... So there's a part of your immune system that specifically protects the brain, the spinal cord, and your neurons and nerves. And that part of my brain, for whatever reason, actually attacks itself. So my immune system, instead of defending the brain and the spinal cord, it eats little holes in it mm-hmm. and eats away at my brain, my spinal cord, my nerve tissue. Motor function. Motor function. Yeah, like anything can happen, basically. Right. And it comes, and then it goes away. Yeah, and you never know what's going to last. So it's like a really bizarre grieving process every time. Can you have a week where it's hard to walk, and then all of a sudden you can walk fine? Yeah, it's super bizarre. I still, I have, um, 
I had I was using a cane for like years and I still have uh, a completely numb right foot from that first relapse. I've just I never really regained feeling in the bottom of my foot. And um it's numb right now. Yeah. Wow. Like that's it just always feels like pins and needles, but I'm so used to it by now. Yeah. But it's interesting too because you can't cure MS, but there's disease modifying drugs, which means like if I didn't have if I wasn't on the amount of neurotin or uh baclofen or certain medications I'm on, I probably wouldn't have use of my legs. Wow. Yeah, like the medications are that. And there's no cure for MS yet? No. There's stem cell treatments are getting close, but mm-hmm. we don't have a cure yet, unfortunately. Yeah. But these medications make it more bearable? Yeah. Like, 100. I, I don't think I could live in my body unmedicated. I think I would have to, like, kill myself. It's just too painful. Too painful. Yeah. yeah. Like, with MS, you still have to deal with pain, of so, course. But that's this is a problem with people that have been addicted to opiates or heroin, whatever, that going on pain meds, they kind of either don't work... Or they get you addicted again? No, I will not take those anymore. When I was uh, <clears throat> first moved to Georgia, they had me on like a ridiculous cocktail. But even that, like, I was like, "Whoa, this is too much." The cocktail had opiates. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was a vi- ten milligram Vicodin four times a day, and then ten milligrams of Valium twice a day. Wow! So basically, like, they're making you a junkie again. Yeah. Well, actually, more of a junkie, almost, <laughs> bizarrely. But, yeah. <laughs> okay, so wait, there's a, there's a move to Georgia in here that we're going to yeah. get to. I want to I try and keep this timeline. Okay, so you graduate high school. You get a scholarship to yeah. Suffolk County Community College. You're still wanting to study writing. Yeah. You're still writing this whole time. And may, may I just throw in a footnote that you have published pieces out there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if you Google my name, I should pop up. Yeah. Broke ass Stewart, uh, hard times, couple of places. And we'll, we'll put a link in the uh, show notes so people yeah. can easily find you and read your very intelligent writing. Thank you. Um, so you you still have a dream, which is good. Yeah, that's. Uh, it sounds real phony, but it did keep me. Mm-hmm. You know, kept. I think that's the reason I'm alive, and most of my best friends might like they didn't really have that. Right. I had this focus, like, I I want to do this. You, you love know? to read and you love to write. Yeah. So you got this, you got the, uh, so wait, all right, so you're going to Suffolk County yeah, Community. Yeah, so I got I, the scholarship. I went to Suffolk County Community for two semesters. Yeah. I went for business and that, I was like a raging junkie at that point. Right, because you're still using at that point. I'm using, I'm working two jobs, I'm trying to go to college while not living at home. And you're still living in your car? Yeah. The Mitsubishi still? The Mitsubishi. (laughs) We used to call it the Mitsubishi. (laughs) This is always broken. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm staying with my boyfriend occasionally. Same boyfriend from Mm -hmm. high school? So and but you're doing it. You're going to classes. Yep. You have two years. For some reason, you decided to get a business degree instead of. Uh, I decided to get a business degree because I thought I could be out in two weeks, two years. Right. And I figured I could start a small business because me and my friends were always crafting and making things. So it was like if I can figure out how to sell what we make. Yeah, in a way, that's a very practical decision. Yeah, I was trying to be logical, you know? I was like, I don't have the money or the resources to to be a four-year college student. Right. You know, I need... And also, um, I was also... Later on, when I made the 
commitment to switch. I had gotten like a little part-time job at a pool store. And as funny as this is, the manager, I noticed, really didn't do that much work and just kind of like sat on the computer in the back all day. (laughs) So it was like, hey, you know, if I could land one of these jobs, Mm -hmm. I could pay rent and maybe just sit back there and write all day. Because all he does is watch YouTube. Yes. Like I could sit back there and apply for writing jobs or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to logically within my circumstances, what's how can I use this two year these two years of college i think that's smart yeah well thank you because <laughs> at that point you know the the idea of bennington i was like okay schools like that a person like me is only going to go to to sell adderall like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like that, it, it, it had finally occurred to me that that's just like i wasn't set up for that i right. wasn't in the position to be able to do that. I mean, that. That, that's that's what I looked for in crappy jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, what job can I do where I can also like book a tour or do something yeah. else while I'm at it? Yeah, like the post office, I got that one because you're allowed to listen to music while you sort mail. Yeah. So, so I was job like, perks. Yeah. Like, as long as I can be in my head, that's mm-hmm. fine. So you didn't quite finish why and how did you what made you get clean the ms made you get clean right yes the the stroke we'll call it yeah okay um why and then that i mean i'm sure that derailed your college career that derailed my college career and then also uh when i was 19 and i was homeless i got in a really bad situation uh that led to a very violent rape and I can't really even remember being 19 from it. Like, I completely blocked it out for, like, 10 years until it just came back in September. But those are the kind of people you have to surround yourself with if you're using. And especially if you live on the street, you're very vulnerable. I mean, I was a 19-year-old girl, yeah. you know, decent looking. I weighed, like, maybe 110 pounds. Uh-huh. And I'm, like, going to these squad houses and stuff to pick up. They know I don't have family. They know I don't have a place to stay. Yeah. I'm very vulnerable. Yeah. And after just so many close calls with psychos and then actually getting violently raped, I just slowly just, and my body getting weaker, I just realized, like, this isn't the life for me. Like, yeah, my parents, yeah, I didn't have a happy childhood. Uh, Yeah, I feel very neglected. Yeah, I very much feel like my family doesn't love me. Okay, cool. But, like... So I'm going to slowly kill myself. So I'm going to like go down crashing and burning. What's the point of that? Like You're letting them win. If yeah, I'm that. letting them win. I want to be a I I, I want to be a writer. Like I have bigger goals than just copying. Right. So it came it kind of like it was kind of like life just kind of punched me in the face like wake up. You know, you got to yeah. you got to start making changes. Did you know the person? Uh it was my friend's cousin, and yes, I did know him. He was a veteran. He just returned from Iraq. I'm pretty sure he had PTSD himself, but he he actually used crack. Uh-huh. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but no one believed me, and I got blamed for it. You told people at the time, and no one believed you? Yeah, and he also came out with... It's like really morbidly funny, because he he wanted to keep seeing me, and of course I was like, yeah, I'd 
don't ever want to be alone with you, let alone in the same fucking room with you again. Yeah. So he told me he filmed it and that he was going to show everyone if I didn't come hang out. So I was like, go ahead, show everyone. Like it's you, it's you almost killed me. Like show people, like maybe you'll find, I'll finally get justice. You said it was violent. Yeah, it was very violent. So I was like, go ahead, show people. He never showed people, but he told like a whole party that my boyfriend was at that like, I liked it or whatever. My boyfriend came home and made me go sleep in the loco trails. He was like, I can't, I can't even look at you. You can't sleep on the mattress tonight. Your boyfriend was blaming you. Yeah. So like I had to just go sleep and be homeless. And it was like, I was just really tired of not feeling like a human. Yeah. You know, like, cause my whole life it was like, I'm not really part of the family in my house. My dad doesn't even want me here. So I left he seemed happy about it. If anything, he just gave me my bills. And actually like a week after I ran away, he got a huge dumpster in the driveway and took all my shit and just threw it out in the dumpster. All your stuff from your childhood. Yeah. He gutted it and just threw it in the dumpster. And then they instantly started renovating that room for my stepmom's daughter. Wow. So yeah, it was very clear like, Oh, they're glad I'm gone. I'm that's just I'm so sorry that that happened. That's just not right for any yeah, kid, any child, you know. It was awful. That I remember just the dumpster and how quick it came. Mm-hmm. I was just like like what did you have those guys on retainer? You were like waiting for me to just Not that he's off the hook, but do you think she kind of spearheaded this? Your stepmom? Yes, but I also think my dad just didn't want to deal with us anymore. I look a lot like my mom. Uh-huh. And their divorce was very, very painful. So mm. I, there was always a disconnect. Like my brother was very clearly the favorite. And I was, yeah. And I was just like, you know, uh-huh. kind of hanging on, hanging around or whatever. So you forgot about this violent attack until uh, recently, 10 yeah, years later. This is a, yeah, here's another near death experience for you. So in September, I like completely lost my mind. And I thought the comedy scene, uh, because I think because my two ex-boyfriends, both Mickey and Tim, died. And Tim actually died two years ago. He called me and told me, like, I'm going to kill myself. I can't do this anymore. I just wanted to talk to you one last time because you're the only person who I ever felt like really loved me. And so I called an ambulance on him down in Virginia and all of this, and uh, uh, basically his mom called me and was like, listen, just stop answering his calls because he's he's attention-seeking and I'm afraid of what he might do. He actually ended up successfully killing himself. He contacted me, tried to, he reached out to me, I ignored him, and he did, he OD'd on some stranger's couch. And that was like two years ago, and the lo- that loss really hit me because I lost Mickey too, and I started... I don't know if I thought it was my fault or what, but I just started hallucinating that if I didn't kill myself, I was going to be sold into sex slavery and they were going to kill my current boyfriend. So I took like a bottle of Valium and called my friend, uh, Allison Klemp, who's another comedian. She came over and called an ambulance and saved my life, put me in Woodhull. They held me against my will for two months because I thought it was, I thought I was 19 again. I thought it was 2006. Wow. I was writing the date 
as 2006, which uh-huh. is just so crazy to me. You just totally re- reverted to a it's, decade ago. Yeah, I just totally turned 19 again, the year I had the stroke, which is strange because that's a year I really can't remember. Right. But I just like turned that age and was hallucinating. It was all happening again. The brain's trying to connect it and figure it out. Yeah, which my therapist, my uh, psychiatrist actually says is a good sign. It says that my brain's at a healthy place where it felt like it could go there. Yeah, it could go there. Yeah. But now, so now I'm in PTSD therapy and I'm like realizing just how, because when you, like I grew up that way. I don't realize how weird it is or how right. crazy, you know, I definitely always feel left out at parties when people are like, ah, oh, yeah, cap of Zeta Zai or whatever, like talking without their frats. Right. Well, you're not a cheerleader. Yeah. So, but, I mean, but there's a lot of us that aren't cheerleader types. Yeah. <laughs> Who don't have such a crazy backstory yeah yeah so that all came back and it's i didn't even realize i think uh because everybody told me that it wasn't a rape and it was my fault it was because i was on drugs whatever i just for completely forgot about it or i guess blame myself for whatever and it just went away until it just came back like this yeah which shows like you really do have to get therapy i guess at some point Right, so that put kind of a hard stop on what you were on your trajectory. Yeah, it did. Well, not at the time. At the time, I kept using, and I think right after that is when my heroin use got the worst. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I got arrested. You got arrested? Yeah, I got arrested for, I had, think I had one bag. It was just like one bag of dope, but it was enough. Yeah. How did they bust you? Oh, uh, the, it turned out the dealer set it up he kind of like fucked me on Framed purpose you? yeah he was working with the cops to get his sentence lightened or some shit usually they go after the dealer not the yeah user so you walked in to buy and then they busted you no i was actually in the parking lot of a 7-eleven and he hopped in my car and was just like drive 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 and i was like i don't want to like what what are you talking about yeah and it turned out he was being followed by the police mm. so he got most of the charges on him, but because he was in my car, right. I got like, I think they really only charged me with the bag I had on me, yeah, which wasn't even full at the time. So it was like... You were over 18? Uh, I think I was... I think I was over... I think I was just 18 uh-huh. if I was over 18. But you didn't have to do any jail time, right? No, they gave me community service, but uh, by that time I had had the stroke and I showed up to community service because it takes a while to go to court and get everything done. This is like two years later. Yeah. Um, I had just had the stroke and my mom actually took me to do community service and I couldn't even like lift my hand to lift a pen. Right. So that woman just kind of like, not laughed, but was just like called the office and was like, this girl can't. Yeah. You sent me a mound of flesh. Like, this girl can't do any volunteer work. What was the community service? They Uh, they just had me filing, but I was Uh that sick at the time because I have um, a lot of damage on my brainstem, too, which causes intense vertigo. Mm -hmm. So I'll feel like I'm in a gravitron, like where I can't even see straight, and Mm -hmm. I just have to lay back, and I'm vomiting a lot. Right. So, like, (laughs) it's kind of like having... Your if your friend drinks like a whole bottle of vodka and then you're in charge of them like that's what yeah kind of got dropped off to volunteer for her you know like right. just this mess. So your mom came back into your life. Yeah, my the courts tracked her down in Florida, and uh, <clears throat> at what age were you? Oh no, the hospital actually tracked her down. 
That's right. Is, is this when you went in the hospital yeah. for the stroke? I went in the hospital for the stroke. Oh, no. See, this whole year is kind of a mess for me. But I think I think I had contacted my aunt because that was the cousin who had MS. Mm-hmm. And my aunt had come and taken me to the hospital that day. And she called my mom. My mom got a flight up right away. Good. And then my mom was staying. We were like staying on couches together and me and my boyfriend used to like physically fight each other and i think just i don't like speaking ill of him because he just passed away but he he got physical with me and he was like kind of beating the shit out of me so my mom came and physically like pulled me from his arms and was like you can't go back there you too you're too sick Mm -hmm. and that's when she took me down to georgia with her okay so she took you to georgia yeah why georgia did you have other family there or something? She ended up marrying a guy who worked on a golf course or something. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. I hated Georgia so much. And but that, yeah. that's why you left the college? Yeah. Yeah. So you went down to Georgia, and what was that like? Well, initially, like... Uh, and you're with, clean at this point. Initially, with EMS, my mom, I was hoping I was just going to go back to Suffolk up here Mm-hmm. and go back to living my life normally but then we saw how just how much damage i had from the ms and i wasn't even really able to hold myself up and eat without vomiting like i was really sick mm-hmm. so it really wasn't a choice it was like i have to go with her and then i think for like two years i mostly just laid in bed in georgia yeah because i was so sick and she took care of you yeah for the most part, she took care of me, and we fight. We fight a lot, though. So I started getting better, and I met my boyfriend. That's still my boyfriend. We're actually ten years this month. Oh wow! Yeah, crazy. Where, where did you meet him? I met him. She took me out to dinner, and he was the waiter. Uh huh. And I ordered a hot coffee, and it was like five, and the whole restaurant was like, "Hot coffee, hot coffee. What is this? <laughs> Who gets hot coffee? What's going on?" And I thought he was really cute, and I left a note on a napkin for one crazy Yankee call, and I left my number, and I didn't think he was ever going to call, but then like two months later, he called me. Nice. Does he live up here now? Yeah. So he moved with you from yeah, Georgia up I, here? I gave him an ultimatum. I was like, I'm going back. I want to be a comedian and a writer, and I can't do that down here. If yeah. you want to come with me, come. And he did. So Nice. Lucky. Yeah. Nice to hear some good stuff in this story. No, yeah. I'm very lucky with that one. I have a great boyfriend now yeah yeah no i was able to so that's really like ms saved my life though because it took me from that scene i was living in up here which was just like all homeless crackheads basically who i was hanging out with people with mental illnesses homeless people and users right and it took me from that scene and kind of like excommunicated me to a point where i could find myself in my own voice again and realize, like, no, I want to be a writer. I want to be a comedian. I don't want to just be a drug addict. Right. I'm going back. Were and you writing during this whole time? Yes. But the only thing is, right after my MS, I was so sick. I lost a lot of my motor control. So I had to go to physical therapy for, like, a year to even be able to hold a pencil again. Oh, wow. Like, I did that much damage by not going to the hospital right away. Right. Which is crazy, because I think if I would have ad- addressed it right away, probably would have gotten like half the damage. Yeah, that's for a lot of things. Yeah. The, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. <laughs> Which is why like, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse to be a tough guy. 
because the you know a splinter can turn into an infection really quick right so yeah you're gonna be a little careful more it just taught me more self-control like we're very lucky that we have bodies and that we have a life here but the body is also like i noticed you do probably do music and sound too it's all wires and yeah. if that it like ms is basically like the insulation of that wire if it got stripped mm-hmm. and it was just like a dingly wire out yeah like screws up the whole system exactly and i'm very vulnerable so i have to be much more uh a, a present in my system you know like i have to I have to be able to say, like, okay, I can't physically do this, right. but I can find another way to do it. You have to stay in touch with your body. Right. Yeah. I can't be, you know, three sheets to the wind, falling asleep all the time. Yeah, you're not taking your body and motor skills for granted. Yeah, exactly. Not anymore. <laughs> not yeah. anymore. Which is a good lesson for all of us, really. <laughs> That's true. So you're down in Georgia. You meet this guy. You start to get a little better where you can get out of bed a little more. Yeah. And you tell him, I want to be a comedian and a writer. I want to move to New York City. Well, he knew because that was all I ever talked about. And I was doing writing remotely mm-hmm. in Georgia. What I, I what I would do is I would contact street artists and graffiti artists from around the world and interview them through Skype. Oh, cool. And then I worked at the time for a site called Environmental Graffiti. Mm-hmm. And then AlwaysFresh.com had hired me, which both of them are out of service now. But they were both graffiti sites. And I did that. Uh, from down there and then i worked for a music label i interviewed bands i did all this for free wow just to like keep my writing chops up what music label it was called my version of records okay. i still think it's like a fake music label to tell you the <laughs> truth like i feel like i got roped into that the only band that this person had supposedly had signed was you're gonna laugh so hard do you remember those insurance, those car insurance commercials? And it's like a band in a car and they're singing about. Yeah. Eight, yeah. That was like the do, only band. Do you remember the. On the label. Do you remember the jingle? Uh, no, I can't. But I do. I had to like listen. The guy has. So the lead singer of that band has another band that actually plays. It's like some they do, crazy. They do like life insurance stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they're the insurance company band. No, it's really funny though. Cause the guy took himself so seriously. <laughs> like he was very full of himself and he was in like this new metal Evanescence type band that she was trying to push. Uh-huh. Yeah, I still think that was just someone who set up a temp- Tumblr and was like, so I own a record label now. Right. And like, I fell for it. I have a website. Yeah, <laughs> but I always say, as far as writing and any guard gigs go, just do what you can because you're building a portfolio yeah, regardless. Exactly. So, But you were being paid for your writing for a little bit while you were in Georgia. No, not... I was making like... I think environmental graffiti played, paid per web hits. I'd get like a check for like two dollars and 30 cents every hey, month you're professional yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <it> was... <laughs> millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This 40, you know, <laughs> to write like six articles for a 40, basically. 
So how did you get the strength to move from being bedridden in Georgia to come up to New York to pursue a very difficult career? Well, I did physical therapy a lot, yoga, and then it's, I don't think it's, to me, comedy has never really been difficult. Like, it's fun and easy. Mm-hmm. And coming up here, I'm actually getting paid for writing because it's all about networking, like yep. any art. Any art is yes. all about networking. Yep. So coming up here, I started actually writing for Funny or Die down in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I had I used to do this thing called What the Fuck News, and that went super viral. So it had like uh, millions of hits. And I kept up with that. And then I started doing um, sketches on Funny or Die. And then I was able to take that comedy writing and go over to Cracked and some other websites. Cool. And also just, you know performing people see you perform they're like you're really funny check mm-hmm. out my website blah blah, blah. yeah yeah so how what how long ago was that that you moved from georgia to here Whew, i think i was 24 25 so like six years seven six years. years okay i want to say seven and your boyfriend did it he moved with you yeah he did like most of the moving too i was supposed to come up here and find a place and i mostly was just like sleeping on friends couches and now, so you grew up in Long Island, so you, you were familiar with New York City, but if you just grew up in Georgia, you might be really culturally shocked. Oh, no, that would be too hard. I was culturally shocked by Georgia. Yeah, I'm sure. Georgia was like it goes scary both ways. as hell for me. Yeah. And he was culturally shocked when he moved up here, but he also liked it a lot better. Yeah. Because he's a musician. Okay. And he's like a very arty guy, and he grew up in a very like, you know, football hunting right he was like oh more people like yeah me he was like wow i can leave the house <laughs> <laughs> it was not a it was not the nicest area of georgia that we uh-huh. both left so yeah but he's definitely he likes it way better now we have a band up here and everything mm-hmm. so so you're playing music you're writing you're doing stand-up yep i had that little upset for like a year, I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I wasn't leaving the house anymore. I was really emotional. I was basically acting crazy. And then I had the snap in September. Mm-hmm. And that again, like, it, again, it's a near death experience, but it like catapulted me back into me again. Okay. So when you moved from Georgia here, you were kind of on the mend. You were better. You were clean. Yeah. You had direction. And then you're saying just as recently as September, another change happened. Well, that's, see, this is where it gets complicated too, because with MS, you're never like completely okay. Cause I had a real, I had a relapse two years ago that another one that was really bad. And then two years before that, an MS relapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they come and then you're in the hospital for like a month or two and you're numb again. Oh wow. That long. Huh? Yeah. It can last or you can be overnight and then you're dealing with the symptoms for ever. And they had to put me on like the strongest MS drug. So for like the past year, I was mainly just in and out of hospitals, really hardcore trying to get my MS into remission it would not go into remission. We couldn't figure out why I wasn't responding to any of the treatments, what was going on. And then I had this sort of like uh, break, this psychotic, the psychotic break in September that just made me deal with all the things that happened before I got placed to go live with my mom or whatever when I was homeless. And it just came back. And like... 
MS is caused a lot by stress, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a huge tie between chronic il- every chronic illness and PTSD. Mm-hmm. When you have PTSD, you live in a constant state of stress, which puts a lot of work on the immune system. Yeah. So actually that not confronting that trauma was putting stress on my body that my body couldn't handle, but I couldn't figure out what that because I was still in survival mode. I mean, I went to four funerals last year for friends that I grew up on the street with, you know? like And these are childhood friends, yeah. so it's bringing back your childhood. Yeah, this is the boyfriend that I was staying with, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, another childhood friend, the guy that I first tried heroin with, just walked into the woods and hung himself. Like, it was just... I guess because we all turned 27, 27 Club or something. Like, yeah. hey, everybody just seemed to that's, die this that's year. That's the year. Yeah, and then it was like after that loss, just it all came back. and But now it feels like I can finally really put it in my past. Right, well, it makes sense because you're not revisiting it on your own terms. You're forced to revisit a very tumultuous time in your life by these deaths. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Right. Because you never want to go back there. When you're escaping getting off the street like that, mm-hmm. it's just like... No, I was there. Now I move on. Yeah. You know, and it was a constant fight for me to get back up here to get what I wanted, which was to be a writer. Right. And to be a comic and to be in a city where I can go out and perform. Right. I can come do a podcast during the day. You know, right. like that's it's a fight to get what where you want to be in life for anyone, but when you have those circumstances, I think it's just part of the psyche that just puts it down. Mm-hmm, yeah and it's like okay but we got to keep moving yeah can't deal with it let's shove it down so uh, we have a lot of repressed memories supposedly yeah all of us yeah i mean think about it because we how could we remember everything that would be too much yeah it's like going through new york city even just day by day you ha- you can't take it all in the brain no. just blocks so much out it's just overwhelming yeah and that was like triggering for me too but mm-hmm. only after the deaths because uh I do have a lot of weird things from growing up homeless for so long. Like I, if there's any food left over, I will always get a takeout box uh-huh. for everyone at the table, fill it up and give it to someone yeah. on the street. Like just little things like that. Right. Like I still have my little habits that are very much like telltale that this is someone who lived on the street. Right. Well, you can empathize. Yeah, well, of course. So- and I also do agree. Don't necessarily give money because yeah. You're just funding their drug yeah, habit. and you are. But they're going to find it anyway. So Right. Yeah, that's always a tricky decision. But if you can give food, that person probably hasn't thought about actually feeding themselves. They're just like, I need to keep my drug addiction going. So actually giving them a food is like... Helping them more you, than a dollar. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, go oh, get the food first. Or mm-hmm. even if you make like a little care package, like stick shampoos, soaps in a backpack... Mm-hmm. Like anytime you want to get rid of a purse or a bag you don't want anymore, you can just fill that up and like leave it hanging on a subway station. Mm-hmm. It's just like little tricks like that to help mm-hmm. people who might be down on their luck. Yeah. Um, this this break that happened in September did it was it like preceded by a week of a lot of mourning or thinking about the past. It was like those three years everybody passed away. And I actually stopped like leaving the house. I stopped taking gigs. I got diagnosed as agoraphobic. 
I was like literally afraid to leave my house for a little while and I couldn't figure out what it was. My boyfriend kept being like, you're taking like, he's like, I understand that these people mean a lot to you and that you were people who took care of each other because you were all homeless teenagers, but you're taking these deaths really, really hard. Like Mm -hmm. you, maybe you should see someone like, and I couldn't understand what it was, but it was my brain trying to be like, you forgot about this thing. Right. Forgot. And you need to confront it. Yeah. You can't crazy thing about rape. Apparently you can't just move on. You have to face it. Yeah. You have to sort it out because you know, we go through the different stages, the anger acceptance, and then the compassion. And that's like, they say the compassion is when you let it go because you're not carrying around that anger anymore. Right. Yeah, I already feel so much more amazing just going to my therapist like three times. I've only been like three times. Yeah, I'm surprised you're not going at least once or twice a week. I'm going, I've just started once a week. Okay. But it was like, because I have to deal with the MS too, that always has to come first. So I have to, I had to go in for after this episode because i was like hallucinating sound sights sounds tastes i couldn't even recognize my own mother like i was 100 percent out of it so they had to go through and make sure it was an epilepsy mm-hmm. make sure it wasn't temporal lobe damage i had to go get like my whole brain looked at basically first before i could even start going to therapy right so it was like six months of in and out of hospitals after two months in the hospital and then i could finally yeah you know get my therapy so i'm really happy to be at that stage though i have like a i'm really optimistic about the future i do believe that if when shit gets really really hard that's usually when things get good afterwards if you can stick it out yeah you know like because you become stronger yeah you become a stronger person and you you gain a lot of insight Mm -hmm. it's just having that situation has to stop being so painful that you can't look at it. Right. You know, you're working through it. Yeah. Which I had to snap. I just, I just completely lost it. It's like so insane to me how crazy I went. And then it just came back. Yeah. I mean, they gave me, um, they gave me drugs to sort of help reset the mind and everything. But then it, yeah, it just came back. And all of a sudden it was like, when I was crazy, I was just telling everyone, like, I, I was raped. I was raped. I'm telling people explicit details about it that I didn't even remember that it happened. Yeah. And I, like, was 19 again. Like, it just happened. Yeah. Which is just so insane to me. I, I'll just never get over that, that yeah. the brain can do that like that. Yeah, no, I, I've said this before on the podcast, but I did a 10-day silent meditation retreat. And on the sixth day... Uh, repressed memory from my childhood came up and it was just as real as it just happened and i could not believe that i repressed it all those years and it comes with all the emotions all the emotion tears are just pouring down my eyes i was it was it's intense that it's all inside the it's all inside it's just sitting there like it's, it's uh stronger than like acid. It's like stronger than any drug I've ever done or imagined. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah, but that's good. I think that is a sign of health because then it's coming up and it's going out. Yeah, it's leaving you. Oh no, I already feel so much out. So the agoraphobia. I'm still having like a little bit of problems with my PTSD, but now that I know that it's PTSD, like my, like um, they taught me awareness tricks, uh-huh. breathing tricks. 
Whereas before, I was just kind of navigating this, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why am I always afraid of everything? Why am I too scared to go out? I don't understand. Like, I could not understand why I was afraid to go out and be alone. And now I know. So I can teach myself tools to deal with that. Right. You know, like, because I wasn't even taking gigs from people. I began thinking, like, anybody was going to rape me at any moment. Right. Which is something that came out in my psychosis. I thought everybody was trying to sell me into sex slavery. Mm -hmm. But, like, you have, you just have to go back and face it. There's no, it just taught me that there really is no running from emotion. Yes. Like, you can stuff it down there as deep as you think it can go but it's gonna bubble back up yeah and that's why i think therapy is so good just to even talk it out loud have someone listening have someone that you don't have to worry about not being on your side no, people even say like they see it like my face has changed like like you can almost i mean you seem glowing yeah because this weight is being taken off me that i've yeah. carried for like so long yeah it's that's what my therapist said the last week when i was in there she was like because I like broke down and I cried over, it was weird because I cried over Tim's death and the guilt I felt. But the minute I cried and I saw st- someone respond, I was like, wait, this can't possibly be my fault. No. Like there's, and it's a professional. So it's like, okay, yeah. you know, because your friends can be like, there's no way. It, you, it's not your fault. You right. got you, some, there's a voice in your mind that's like, they just don't know how awful I am. You know, like... Yeah, but he chose his own fate. Right. And that's... And I could see it in her face. Her reaction was more like, oh, that was cruel of him to put it on you. Right. Rather than like, how could you leave him? Mm -hmm. No, I had to do what I had to do to survive. It's hard because, I mean, caring people want to help everyone. Yeah. And you feel like you disappointed him by not. But some people just can't be helped either. No, especially with addiction. Yes, that is the worst because people got to want to get clean. Yeah. I mean, that's when people ask me, how did you get clean? Mm -hmm. While I can say cold turkey, I can also say you have to want to get, you have to really truly want to get clean. Yeah. Did you want to or you just, you did? Definitely. I didn't even, I never even liked using when I was using, like I did to a certain extent, but also another game changer for me was when they put me on antidepressants, which mm. I had never been on because that's that's also something that can just happen with MS. You depression and anxiety come with it because of all the nerve damage. It messes up your brain chemicals, right. and I got put on Effexor, which also helps with pain. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, like all this pain was taken away, and I felt more normal. And then I was like, I. I don't need that anymore. Yeah. You know, like I don't have a constant panic attack going on in me anymore. Right. It was, it's giving you the soothing. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Heroin can definitely soothe. So that's good. You got it from a healthier place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it does more damage though, because it's the same thing with those feelings. Like if you're an addict for a year, when you stop, all of a sudden you have to go back and feel everything you were running from. Mm-hmm. Like those emotions stay there. Right. They're That's, just swept under the rug. Right. That's why getting cl- getting clean is like a forever process. I still feel, I still will have moments where I feel emotions for things that I was blocking out. Mm-hmm. You know, like when my first best friend died, Mickey, we just went and got as much heroin as we could and i didn't even go to the funeral and that always messed with me and then of course 
you get clean and you're like, okay, now I can go and actually feel those emotions. I wonder if it would help to just visually go to the funeral. I think it definitely does. Because yeah. I went to Tim's and I had so much more closure from that. Right. Just going and reenacting it. Yeah. I always, uh, I always push my friends now to like anybody you love, always go to the funeral. You need that closure. Mm -hmm. And you also need to be in a room with all of his loved ones. Like mm -hmm. that's just, it, it. I always mocked like, Oh, what do we have to with weddings and ceremonies like that? But there is a reason humans need closure. We yeah. need to be able to see the casket close. We need to see that they're gone. Yeah. And I also feel like we're social animals. Sharing that with other people helps for some reason. Right. It totally does. I don't know why. Yeah. I so, which is also something that pisses me off so much about depression and anxiety is that such a big part of it is isolation. And the main cure for it is socialization yes it's a, <laughs> you just create this downward spiral you're like oh i'm depressed so i'm going to stay inside and then what you need is what you're hiding from it's the word it's not yeah i have a, a song about you know negative feedback loops yeah that's what i feel like it is you yeah. get stuck in a negative feedback loop and mm -hmm. you just can't find your way out mm -hmm. you just have to you really have to make drastic changes yeah so when i got out of the insane asylum this time i joined a gym mm -hmm. i became really active in seeking ptsd treatment and i was like i'm not gonna just sit in bed anymore now i know what it was right now i know why i'm so scared now i can be proactive and make these steps mm -hmm. a good thing that i do sometimes when i get depressed is i'll think all right why am i depressed did anything change in my life from the last time i was happy and most of the times like nothing really changed yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, then if I was happy, then why do I believe this depression? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, it's just chemical, whatever, it'll pass. And don't give it so much. Don't invest in it so much. Just let it go. Yeah. And then hopefully the mood will come back. Yeah, with the PTSD, it's, it's, a, it, it's like not exactly just depression it's more like a fear thing like i can't mm -hmm. describe because like I, a trauma i was yeah exactly like i was i lost a lot of friends during that period because they were like come on dude just stop being this depressed why can't you get out of it and i am really good at getting myself out of depression but this was like different yeah it was because i was stuck i was stuck as a 19 year old until i could figure out what happened like until that memory came back, mm -hmm. I couldn't confront it. So yeah. I was just kind of like stuck in my bed. Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm feeling, but I know it's bad and I got to protect myself from it. Yeah. And you're uh, writing now? Yeah. I'm back to writing. I'm pretty much back to everything. I moved. I found I got a new place with more sunlight and fresh air. Um, setting up my office. I'm back to doing stand up. Mm -hmm. Finally. Good. And my band still playing so what's the name of your band hermit heroes hermit heroes yeah cool <laughs> got a gig coming up um i have a comedy gig on the 18th awesome yeah uh, right. let me think <laughs> if i can remember where I remember. lucky 13 saloon oh, okay. at 9 p.m cool yeah april 18th yeah wait that's tomorrow yeah so that i don't know why i plugged that <laughs> oh, well maybe this podcast will come out tomorrow <laughs> okay <laughs> well if not this is great. So you really do seem like you're glowing. Yeah, I feel amazing. I yeah, really do. This has been quite a, a tale. <laughs> yeah, I have. Uh, I always love to tell. And you're tell. not even thirty yet. Uh, no, I just turned thirty. You actually. do okay. I'm thirty. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
<laughs> thank you so much for sharing this no, with thanks us. for having I me. I hope it's an inspiration to some. Uh, thank you. And you can follow me on Twitter at Tiana the Goblin. Uh, T- post new articles on there. Tiana the Goblin. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.